Yeah. Well, I, you know, first of all, I love the fact we're having this conversation on a show called The Adversity Advantage because adversity is actually how many of us have come to view food and our diet, right? And so you go on a diet to fight something else in your life that you're not happy with. And so then food becomes actually your enemy, your foe, your opponent, or the patterns of eating become that. So, you know, when you say, why don't diets actually tend to work? It has to do with the fundamental nature of why people think they need to go on a diet to begin with. I'm Doug Bobes, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopst, and today's guest and returning back to the podcast is Dr. William Lee. Dr. Lee is an internationally renowned physician, scientist, and author of the books Eat to Beat Disease, The New Science of How Your Body Can Heal Itself, and his latest book, Eat to Beat Your Diet, Burn Fat, Heal Your Metabolism, and Live Longer. His groundbreaking work has led to the development of more than 30 new medical treatments and impacts care for more than 70 diseases, including cancer, diabetes, blindness, heart disease, and obesity. His TED Talk, Can We Eat to Starve Cancer, has garnered more than 11 million views. Today, Dr. Lee and I discuss how to develop long-term healthy eating patterns, why you must be deeply connected to your goals, how to understand the four stages of your metabolism and use it to burn body fat, why time-restricted eating can be so valuable, how to deal with stress-induced eating, how to overcome the all-or-nothing healthy lifestyle approach, and so much more. So let's get this conversation going. And welcome Dr. William Lee back to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Dr. Lee, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Doug. I'm excited to chat with you again because I know that you help so many people both in your work and in your books, including your recent book, Eat to Beat Your Diet. You help them understand not only how to eat better, but how to eat better long-term because so many people... They end up starting something when it comes to their nutrition, they stop, they end up not starting something because they don't have the confidence to be able to make that transformation or whatever the case may be. And they end up not making these changes and they don't in turn embrace a lot of the information that's out there about nutrition, diet, and how it can actually be super beneficial for your health. In your opinion though, as a doctor, even in your own experience, maybe just experience in talking to, to friends and colleagues, like why do you think most diets fail? Yeah. Well, I, you know, first of all, I love the fact we're having this conversation on a show called The Adversity Advantage, because adversity is actually how many of us have come to view food and our diet, right? And so you go on a diet to fight something else in your life that you're not happy with. And so then food becomes actually your enemy, your foe, your opponent, or the patterns of eating become that. So, you know, when you say, why don't diets actually tend to work? It has to do with the fundamental nature of why people think they need to go on a diet to begin with. And this is really kind of like the basis of my new book, Eat to Beat Your Diet. It's a trick title. 
it's not a diet book. In fact, it's an anti-diet book that teaches you how the science of the new science of our body, the new science of our metabolism, I'm a scientist and a doctor, teaches us that we don't really have to suffer. We don't have to go on these yo-yo diets. We don't have to swing to extremes in order to really be able to use food or grapple with food not as our opponent, but really as our collaborator. And not just to be able to help us lose weight and feel better, but literally to be able to bring us joy as well. So if I told you that this topic of food and your metabolism and health is the antithesis of adversity, it's about harmony. And the question is, the question we're talking about is, how do you turn something that appears to be an adversary into a situation where you can really embrace the harmony. I think that's the modern conversation about diets. Absolutely, but I think it's easier said than done because I think that when a lot of people are starting to make the change to eat healthier, it's in the midst of adversity in their life, right? They, maybe they just got some bad news from a doctor. Maybe they went through a divorce and they're like, you know what, like I'm gonna get that revenge body or maybe they had some health scare in the family or whatever the case may be and their stress levels are, are high, they're overwhelmed, they're seeing all this information online about this diet and that diet and try this and lose 30 pounds in three weeks and all this information that we see now. And I love what you said about it being coming to a place of harmony because at the end of the day, it's going to actually help you in so many ways and it's going to bring you more peace with yourself and in your lifestyle. If I were a patient of yours and I would say, you know, Dr. Lee, I'm looking to, I'm eating nothing but processed foods right now. My life is a complete mess. Like what are some initial steps that I could take to make sure that I'm in this for the long run? Yeah, that's, you know, and that's not a uncommon situation, right? I mean, so many people, either articulate and acknowledge or they are living with this sort of in a little shadow recognition in the back of their minds that they're not they're not living their best lives and how they feel both physically and emotionally actually is a consequence of that but they don't know how to get out of that rut right so what i would tell you doug you know if you were see, coming to me as a patient with what i know is i would say first of all there's some natural temptation to grasp at something that seems like a silver bullet. And whether that's a supplement that's being sold to you, uh, a super beverage, a super food, or a program diet that some guru is trying to tell you, even if you hear your friends talking about it, you know, like we're human. So we, we tend to gravitate towards, you know, like what's going on and who's doing it. And if you have friends that are doing it, you kind of want to jump on there. That's why we've got keto. That's why we had Atkins and South Beach. And, you know, you name the diet. That's basically why people jump onto these ships. But I would argue that people who go onto diets need to really take a moment before jumping at that and grasping at that straw. You know, it's like you might feel like you're on a Titanic going down. All right. You'll take any life raft that you think is nearby. All right. But let me tell you, diets and the healthy way to use food is highly, highly individualized. It has to do with who we each are. So the best thing I would tell you, Doug, is first, if you were looking for help, I would have this conversation with you say, let's take a look at your individual self. Let's take a look at what your preferences are, your needs. Okay, let's have a level of self-actualization, self-knowledge that you need to understand what makes you tick, why you actually are even interested in a diet and what are your goals? All right. If your goals are more energy to kind of be renewed, 
to be regenerated as somebody. And you and your goal is to really kind of step further and further away from a path that you think is going to lead to disease. Then I've got some good news for you. And the good news is that while we used to think you have to go on these extreme elimination diets that are really loaded with value judgments, don't do this, don't do that, it makes you feel bad, you know, like food and fat are all kind of like these bad kind of ideas. The new science teaches us something completely different and really kind of surprising. And this is what I write about in my new book, Eat to Beat Your Diet. First, that we are all hardwired with all the operating system we need to be able to have a really, really good metabolism. And when we have a good metabolism, we've got good energy, we've got good use of the calories that we're taking and all the other micronutrients that we're actually eating and that we're actually fueling up our body's own health defenses. These health defenses not just make us feel better, they do make us feel better, give us more energy, all right? But they also protect us against chronic diseases like diabetes and heart disease and cancer and all the specters of health that people are a little bit afraid of when they go to the doctor's office, like, oh man, I hope I, they don't give me bad news. And what I'm telling you is that this is not fake. There is actually your own destinies hardwired in your body. So how do we unleash our inner metabolism to allow our body to do the things that it wants to do? And you don't need to actually do elimination and restriction. Instead, it's sort of understanding how to get in harmony with yourself, not just what to eat. We can talk about that, but how to eat and when to eat become really, really important things. So don't just go pick up a bottle or a can or a jar of powder or, you know, start copycatting what somebody else says you need to do every day. Let's first think about what your own goals are. What are the things that are dogging you that you want to actually overcome? And then what we do is we actually realign that with how your body actually works. And then how do you choose foods and eat mindfully to be able to get there? Yeah, I love that. And I think now that you we've kind of identified that you know for people trying to lose weight become healthier whatever their main goal is the approach that really counts is the one that they're going to stick to and the one that's best for them individually and then along the same lines as goals you know i've heard a lot of people talk about and i believe this myself that you have to have some level of emotion tied to whatever it is you're trying to achieve so that it just helps you not just stick to it, but when things get tough, you kind of remember why you started. And, and I'm sure there's other reasons to go along with that. What is your take on that? And what's your advice based on your take on how somebody can really get deeply connected to the goal they're trying to achieve? Yeah, well, this has to do with harmony, right? And harmony is inner harmony. Like when it comes to health, it's really about what's inside us. And I think too many of us and maybe our society today is so externally focused, checklist focused, task focused, maybe even kind of financial goal focused or, or advancement focused. And so what we forget about in this sort of busy, crazy rush of our modern lives and by the way, it's also not helped by our mobile devices that we're scrolling on. And first of all, there's a lot of incredible things that our technology, digital technology gives to us. But one of the things it doesn't give to us is it does not hand us the permission slip to be able to have a moment of peace and rest and reflection. And, you know, in fact, we're, we're continuously bombarded with new information on a moment to moment basis that takes us further and further away from ourselves. So back to sort of like this idea of internal harmony, what makes me happy? What do I want to aim for in my life? Like, how do I know? And how will I know when I get there? You know, what are those kinds of fundamental things? Knowing yourself is one of the 
both the easiest and hardest things to do. And I, what I'm telling you is before you pick up any food, before you start any workout, before you do any type of therapy, this is a kind of the, the moment of truth, self-truth, self-knowledge, self-awareness that I think all of us have the ability to be able to kind of reach for. Now, is there trauma and pain that, that many of us will encounter when we do that? Yes, but that actually is also equally the secret in to be able to actually solve that problem. Otherwise, it's always going to be a hidden bump in the road that we're actually not going to be able to overcome. And so this whole, whole emotional centeredness, this uh, idea of knowing who we are and what our goals are and what makes us tick. And by the way, even when it comes to food, and I write about this extensively, you know, most people who are trying to lose weight or let's call it better fitness for the lack of a better word. I mean, losing weight loss is a very specific thing, but better fitness is the goal that everyone has, even if you're trying to lose weight. Okay. But how are you actually living your life today? You know, taking stock of how, what you're actually doing to yourself, because the good news is that there may be some things that you are doing naturally that are actually quite good for you. You just don't know it. You're not, you're not keeping score. And so what I, my research is showing is that, you know, elevating our health to a better level using the, our metabolism and using the defense, health defense systems that are hardwired inside us is actually hidden in plain sight. We have to start at the beginning to be able to understand what our own inner goals are first. And then taking one step at a time allows us to unpack the path to get to better health. I love what you just said about taking one step at a time and then also acknowledging that you know, in a perfect world, there there wouldn't be all these stressors and there wouldn't be trauma and pain that sometimes could hinder our ability to see results and get results and continue along the path. Because I know that that gets in the way of a lot of goals when they're looking to achieve something is like the daily stressors in their lives and stuff that happens at work and so on and so forth. And I think that also goes along with, I think one of the biggest problems I know for me, when I'm stressed, I know food sometimes can become a crutch for me where I tend to eat worse when I'm feeling stressed more when I'm feeling stressed. So just using me, I guess, as an example, again, you know, if I was coming to you and I just said, Dr. Lee, you know, I'm just having trouble like overeating specifically when I'm stressed. I just find myself like reaching for junk food, processed food when I'm having a hard time. What kind of advice would you, you know, give me to help counter that? We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, wanted to give a quick shout out to this episode's sponsor, Just Thrive. I have covered the topic of gut health extensively on the show and why it is so important to have a healthy microbiome. 80 to 90% of Americans suffer from some type of gut issue and 70 to 80% of your immune system is in the gut. And while cleaning up your diet and managing your stress should be at the foundation of addressing your gut health, a probiotic can certainly be very beneficial. When buying a probiotic, you want to be sure that you get one that actually works and delivers on their promises. Research shows that 99.9% .9 of them die in your stomach acid before they reach your gut. That's where Just Thrive Probiotics stands out from the crowd. Their proprietary strains have been third-party clinically tested and proven to arrive 100% alive in your gut, unlike other probiotics that die on the way. But that's not all. Their probiotics have more clinical research than any other products on the market and are proven to work. So if you are tired of struggling with gut issues like gas, bloating, and indigestion, Look no further than Just Thrive Probiotics. So for a limited time, you can get 20% off your first 90-day bottle of Just Thrive Probiotic. So visit JustThriveHealth.com and use promo code Doug to get 20% off. Again, it's JustThriveHealth.com and use promo code Doug to get 20% off. Now back to the show. Again, your internal hardwired operating system 
is always available for you to tap into to be able to get to better balanced health. So no matter how far away you are from that goal, you can do it. All right. That's the first thing I'd tell you. I would tell you that in order to do that, though, you need to realize that in addition to the food choices that you make, we can talk about junk food and, and all that stuff. But I want to also talk about the un, some of the underlying causes of stress. If you don't deal with that, it can be a problem. I mean, research studies have actually shown, come back a little bit into this whole idea of trauma and anger and anxiety, the emotional aspect of it, is that studies have shown that if you take a look at, there's a study done of women who looked at women who were overweight or obese and looked at and correlated with their level of anger. And it turns out that those people who actually had more difficulty with their metabolism and with their body weight were also people who tended to have more repressed and unresolved deep anger. And so, you know, and I want to call that out as an as a extreme example because we're all stressed from things. Life is stressful. That's just the nature of it. And most of us have a decent amount of resiliency to deal with the occasional traffic stop or, you know, you forgot your keys or whatever, you know, it's like we bounce back from that stuff. But when you actually hold on to anger, deep anger, that's really kind of get into that trauma realm. And then you really have a hard time letting go. That needs to be worked on. That needs to be worked on because it's going to interfere with almost everything else that you would try to do. So I could talk to you about how to time your eating, how to make better food choices, the volume to eat. Like I want to talk to you about all that because that's important. But, you know, back to this basic line, if you are actually having something really fundamental that you're just not dealing with at all, that internal self, you're going to have a hard time moving forward in this path no matter what. So I, I think I'm glad you brought this up as an early point. You know, we've got to actually confront ourselves as a very fundamental part of actually moving forward. That said, I can tell you there's some basic ground rules to actually clear up your body and allow your inner metabolism and your health defenses to rise to their own water level. And that's the good news because it means your body wants to do this. We're humans. We want to do this. All right. So one of the natural things to think about is understanding our metabolism. And a big surprise is in the last two years alone, just 24 months, it's been discovered that human metabolism works in a way that is completely different than we thought for the last hundred years. It turns out that we're not born with a slow metabolism or a fast metabolism. And that means that we're not destined to fight with food and body fat and obesity the way that we always have talked about. You know, oh, my sister's so lucky she was born with a fast metabolism. That's why she's skinny as a stick and can eat anything. And me, on the other hand, I was born with a slow metabolism. So I've struggled my whole life with my weight and I have to be careful with what I eat, right? How many times have we heard that? I mean, a lot of people carry around that. It turns out that's not true. We are all born with the exact same metabolism, that operating system, the hardwiring of our energy, of our metabolism, using fuel to give us energy and power up our system and power up our health is actually exactly the same. The four phases of metabolism we go through at any given point in your life, and this is important because if you're coming to me at you haven't hit middle age yet or you're just getting to middle age, you're in a meta metabolic stage that it's important to understand. So the first stage is zero to one years old, your metabolism skyrockets to 50% higher than it's gonna be when you're an adult, phase one. Phase two, from one year old to 20 years old, your metabolism goes down, 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 down. Now, why is that important and a surprise? Because most people who are parents will know that when their kids are teenagers 
and they're sprouting up like a beanstalk and they're eating two or three dinners and they're bouncing off the wall and they're full of energy. We always used to think that, oh man, the kids are getting, their metabolism's going up. Wrong. Their metabolism is going down, 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 down to adult levels. And then from age 20 to 60, and I know that you're somewhere in between there, Doug, all right, your metabolism is hardwired to be rock stable. This is what your body wants to do, not to change one bit. So your energy level should be up in healthy, full-blown levels because that, that's how your operating system is. Now, obviously, people's metabolism do shift, and I'll explain why. But 20 to 60 is exactly the same, and that means that if you actually allow your metabolism to do what it wants to do, 60 can be the new 20. And that's an important thing because this is right through your first child, your second child, your menopause, your 40s and 50s and 60s, you know, your life changes, everything is completely your metabolism rock solid. And then finally, your last stage, stage four is from 60 onwards to like 90. Your metabolism declines about 17% before you get to the end. All this means to tell you that this new science teaches us how we're hardwired. And when you actually throw extra body fat into the equation. What happens, it's not a slow metabolism causes you to gain body fat and, and more weight. It's that extra body fat throws rocks at your metabolism and crushes your metabolism. So you do want to actually fight body fat, harmful excess body fat, but it's really for inner health. It's not about vanity. It's really about how do you get, you know, that question you asked me, what do I do? What I would say is you want your metabolism to rise. You want your health defenses to rise. And one of the things you want to do is a streamline, allow your metabolism to do what it was designed to do. So along those lines, like how do we optimize our metabolism? Like what are some foods that you think we can eat? How should we eat? What types of activities should we be doing every single day? that you found to be useful in like, optimizing the metabolism? Well, you know, the first thing I sort of want to share is an explanation uh, of what is metabolism, because I think this is a term that everyone thinks they know something about, but I'm telling you, there's a new science of the metabolism that is changing the way that we understand everything. And, and it's so new that some of the information is less than two years old. The old textbooks are still being ripped up and thrown out the window. The new ones haven't even been written yet. So we're talking about some real cutting edge stuff. The first point is that our metabolism, as a scientist, I could throw a lot of very, very complicated scientific terms at you, but I'm not going to do it. Your metabolism is your body system to be able to use fuel in your body to run your body's engines. Just like if you have a car and you have an engine that makes that makes the car run, you have to put fuel into the car, okay, in order to be, to be able to run that engine. So in a car, when you're driving and you look at the fuel gauge and the, the tank is running low, what do you do? You turn, pull over to the gas station and you pull out and fill up the tank. When the tank is full, the nozzle clicks, put it back, and then you drive off. Our body is the same way. When our engines are running, it's our metabolism, how to use that energy and fuel. When our fuel tank runs low, our fuel gauge runs low, it's in our brain. And it's hardwired in our muscles and our organs. When it runs low, what do we do? We don't go to a filling station. We pull over to the dinner table. We pull over to the restaurant. We pull over to the snack bar, to the refrigerator, to the pantry. All right. And what are we doing? We are actually getting fuel. So just like fueling up your car. So when we actually pick up fuel to put into our body, think about the analogy I just gave you with the car and fuel. Good quality fuel that you put into your car, your gas tank, is going to make your engine run a lot longer. Your car could take a crappy low quality gas once or two, twice, you know, when you're filling 
that's all that's available, right, to get you back on the road. But if you actually continuously put low quality fuel, crappy quality fuel, and you started to have contaminated gasoline into that fuel, whether it's contaminated with chemicals or sugar or whatever else it is, you watch you destroy your engine over time. Same deal when it comes to food in our engine. Our food is our fuel, our, our body, our metabolism runs that energy and the quality makes all the difference in the world. Now I wanna talk about some specific foods that help our metabolism run really, really well. But in addition to one way to, that I wanna say about how do we wreck our metabolism, Okay, it's just using the same analogy as the gas station. Now, imagine you go to the, pull up to the filling station with your car and you put the nozzle in your gas tank. The gas tank is full and normally the nozzle clicks when the gas tank is full and it's not going to fill anymore. No more gas comes out and you pull it out and you're good to go. Our body doesn't have a clicker. So when we sit down to put fuel in our body and you say overeating, all right, that's what we're doing where there's no clicker. We're just continuing to shove food into our body. Now, what happens when you're actually at a filling station if your gas tank were to overflow? All right, it'd run down the side out of the tank, down the side of the car, around the wheels. It would pool around your feet and you'd be standing in this flammable, toxic, dangerous mess, right? And you would hope that the air, you'd have to walk away and the air would evaporate the gasoline, right? Now, we don't have the same luxury when we eat. When we eat and we overeat, what we're doing is we are overloading the tanks in our body and our body has to put that extra fuel somewhere. It can't evaporate. So what our body does is it takes extra fuel and it stuffs it into our fat, our fat cells. Our fat cells are normal fuel tanks, all right? So when we have, when we eat, we're using the energy, anything extra gets stored into little fat cells. Fat cells get bigger, 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 all right? And then if you're eating normal amounts, it'll store some extra energy. Then when you're done eating, it'll burn down that fuel. Now, if you actually continuously actually overload the gas tank, you're gonna fill up that fat fuel tank. It's gonna be blisteringly big, like a water balloon. And then guess what? Your body says, we still got more fuel. You overate. Now you gotta make more fat cells, fuel tanks, and it's gonna fill those up. And that gets filled up. Now you gotta make another one and it's gonna fill up. And now you can kind of see why over Putting too much fuel in our body causes us to actually gain extra body fat. That extra body fat is like a toxic mess that our standing in that gasoline, that overfloated gas tank is like. It's flammable. It's inflammation, which is like flame inside our body. That sets us up for a big problem. The good news about that is we can actually eat less. So being mindful that that's how our body works, you eat less is really, really helpful. So always, I always tell people eat, stop eating when you feel satisfied, but before you feel full. And if you eat slower, your stomach will signal text message your brain to tell you like when it's actually naturally full. The other thing you can do that would be incredibly important to actually keep your metabolism going well is not to eat too close to bedtime and not to eat too close to getting up in the morning because when we are actually eating food, there's a, a hormone called insulin that our pancreas, our body produces, and insulin works to draw that food fuel as energy into our cells. That's what insulin does, all right? And when our insulin is up, it's the signal in our body is our metabolisms that store the fuel, baby. Don't burn it, store it. We wanna gobble it all up and pack it away. 
All right. It's like ammo for energy. When our insulin is down, which is when we're not eating, our metabolism shifts gears and says, all right, time to tap into the fuel. So if you want to burn that extra fuel that's stored in your tanks, which is your fat cells, you might have extra fat from overeating yesterday or overeating the last week or the last month or from the holidays, whatever it is, your celebration. All right. The fact is that you could, your body is actually hardwired to burn that down, but it only burns it down when you are not eating because the insulin goes down and your metabolism shifts gears to actually be in fat burning mode. This happens when we're sleeping, naturally, by the way. And when we're sleeping, we're not eating. By the way, another name for that is fasting, which is why when we get up in the morning and we have our coffee and our eggs or whatever, it's called breakfast. Breakfast is breaking your overnight fast, break fast, all right? And so when what you hear about uh, intermittent fasting isn't just a trend, isn't kind of like this crazy, you know, new way of actually living your life. It's how our body's hardwired to do it every single day. When you're sleeping, you're fasting. When you're fasting, your insulin's down. When your insulin's down, your metabolism goes, shoop, let's go ahead and start burning down extra fuel. All right. So if you don't eat too close to bedtime, like when you stop eating, okay, let's say you go to bed at 11 and you get up at seven in the morning. That's eight hours of sleep. I strongly recommend that as a generally good optimal amount of time of sleep to get cleans your brain. It gets rid of the toxins. It actually resets your immune system, all kinds of things. Calm stress, lowers inflammation, good quality, eight hours of sleep. Now let's say that you eat dinner. So you go to bed from 11 and get up at seven, eight hours. Let's say that you eat dinner at seven o'clock in the evening, all right? And for most people, let's say that you finish eating at around eight, an hour later, you put their dishes away in the sink at eight o'clock, all right? Now, how many of us actually eat a little snack later? We go for some dessert. We're before bedtime. I got to eat one more thing, all right? Don't want to do that because every time you do that close to bedtime, you're spiking your insulin. When the insulin goes up, your metabolism isn't able to burn fat. If you stop eating... When you put your dishes in the sink, so let's say that you eat dinner at seven, you stop eating at eight, put your dishes in the sink, no more food. That's it. Okay. You'll get used to it. It'll be cool. Don't worry. All right. You've given, and you go to bed at 11, from eight to 11, you've given your body three extra hours. You've given your metabolism the gift of three extra hours to burn down that extra fuel that's gotten stuck and trapped in your body. And if you get up at seven in the morning, rather than roll out of bed and do what you know, our mommies told us to do when we were kids, hurry up and eat breakfast so you can get on the school bus and go to school on time. All right. If you get up and said, let's say it's seven, take a shower, get dressed, check your emails, read a book, read a newspaper, whatever it is you're going to do, go for a walk. An hour later, you sit and have a breakfast. You've given your body, your metabolism, the gift of an extra hour in the morning that you burn down fuel. So let's do some math. Three hours after after the dishes are in the sink before bedtime, plus eight hours of sleeping time, that's 11 hours, plus one extra hour before you actually sit down and eat breakfast. It's reasonable to do. Anybody can actually do that, honestly. But do the math, three plus eight plus one. Now, it's 12 hours. You've given your body 50% of your life is spent towards streamlining your metabolism by burning down that extra body fat. That's how you allow your inner metabolism to start to rise to the surface. So without actually having to even go on any kind of crazy diet, any fads, any elimination, you can just kind of use that timing 
and of course the amount to eat, like always leave some white space on your plate, don't go back for seconds, and quit the clean plate club. That's a way with before we even talk about what are some good choices to add that you can actually use your body to fight on your behalf. I love that explanation. And it just seems like the the main thing somebody can do to improve the function of their metabolism is to lose excess body fat in the best way to do that without necessarily going on a specific diet or focusing on specific foods is to just eat less than you are now and finding creative ways to do that. One of them being almost like the time restricted feeding window, like you said, almost like you don't eat past a certain time, you eat like an hour after you get up or something like that. In my book, Eat to Beat Your Diet, I call it, once you realize what time you finish dinner and what time you eat breakfast, you can set your own, it's like an alarm on your watch or your phone. You can set the time you're gonna open your eating window in the morning, okay? And you can set what time you're gonna close the eating window so you're not gonna eat anymore, right? And you can even set an alarm on your phone if you need a, a reminder. But actually, you know, if you realize that the time that you're not eating after you put the dishes away, your body's actually starting to shift into gear to start to streamline your metabolism. That's kind of an awareness. You can't unlearn that. Like once you hear that, then next time you actually reach for that brownie or that piece of cake or whatever it is, bag of chips, like some voice in your head is going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't want to be interfering with my body right now. My body actually wants to do something. You, Another part of your brain might be saying, go ahead and eat it, right? That's the, the angel and the devil kind of on both shoulders warring with your brain. But again, this is where I think you, by understanding what your goals are, you realize that your body wants to help you. It's trying to help you. It's there for you, man. Like it's got your back. And so by putting that in your head, it's, a, it's an easy thing. Now you want to take that to the next level. And this is what I write about in my new book, Eat to Beat Your Diet. What's really cool is that during the time you're eating, it turns out that food doesn't always grow fat. In fact, the research has shown some foods actually during the day, even when your insulin is up, some foods will actually cause your body to fight extra body fat and streamline your metabolism while you're eating. So just now before I was telling you when insulin is up when you're eating, your body's metabolism is all about storing the food and not burning it. And when you're not eating and your insulin's down, it'll actually start to burn the fuel. There's an exception to that rule. And that's if you choose, and I wrote about 150 different foods proven by human studies, research studies, that when you eat them, in moderation, these foods and the natural chemicals contained in them will fire up your metabolism so you can eat to lose and burn down extra body fat so you can streamline your metabolism. That to me is a really amazing thing because it's good news. You can choose foods. I mean, who would have thought you can eat foods to lose weight? doesn't make sense, right? Yes, it does. The science teaches us and the clinical studies show us it can be actually done. So the first step is to just focus on eating less and like identifying those windows that you're going to eat throughout the day. And then the second thing after you've mastered that is now to like, look at like what you're eating within that time frame. And out of those 150 foods that you talk about in your book, like what are the common themes? Like I, I know that yeah, protein has a thermogenic effect. I know fiber does. What are some of the, you know, properties, if you will, of these foods that help with your metabolism? Well, well let me, let me explain how your body how food can fire up your body's metabolism. So I'm going to take you back to body fat. Like, you know, again, I'm not a diet person. In fact, I don't really like fad diets and trend diets and crash diets. And, you know, like anyone else, I have stepped out of the shower and out of the corner of my eye, I see something 
on my body in the mirror that like, yeah, I don't like that. I, I, I got to get in a better shape or I got to get in a better diet. Like, I mean, it's, it happens to all of us, right? That's a common thing. And then you step on a scale and the number that comes up isn't the number that you had hoped for. So you feel right away from the get-go, like, oh man, I got to, I'm disappointed. I got to do something about it. Well, I can tell you that in my book, what I want people to realize is that science is empowering us because you can buy these metabolism activating fight fatting foods right in our grocery store. So in the book, I actually, the whole second section of the book, if you're anybody who wants to like have surprise and delight, I write the book as if, you, if I invited you, like when you were a kid to jump into the grocery cart, I take you on a tour of the grocery store, I invite you like a, like a kid to jump into like your mom's grocery cart where she's pushing you around. What I do is I whisper in your ear and tell you what to put in the cart. So you go to the produce section and there are foods that are like tomatoes that have lycopene that actually dissolve into your body fat within an hour or so after you eat the tomato. And that lycopene turns on your body fat. And what it does, it, it doesn't turn on the jiggly fat. It turns on the kind of fat called brown fat. And brown fat isn't jiggly. It's not lumpy bumpy. It's paper thin. And it's paper thin and it's pressed along your neck, under your breastplate, under your arms, a little bit behind your back, a little bit in your belly. And when the lycopene from tomatoes and other foods will actually get to your fat, it lights up the fat like the striker you have on a gas oven. You know, you click it, click, 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 whoosh. When that brown fat lights up, it's literally burning. It's thermogenic, meaning it's a space heater. It creates heat. In order to create heat, to fire up, it has to draw energy, right? Just like a space heater does, you got to plug it in. Or just like your gas range does, it draws down the gas from a gas tank. Now, in this case, your brown fat, when it fires up due to food, Okay, which could be tomatoes, could be chili peppers, by the way, serrano chilies, ancho chilies, Anaheim chilies, will all do this in their own way, fires up the brown fat. And where does that, your brown fat draw its fuel from? It draws it from the harmful fat that stored extra energy. So good fat, brown fat will burn down harmful fat, white fat, jiggly fat, and it draws it right down. And the first place it goes is from the most dangerous kind of fat that's stuck inside your body. All right. So Foods like tomatoes, ancho peppers, avocado, broccoli, bok choy, onions, garlics, green onions, red onions. These are all foods that you would see in the grocery store. Tangerines, lemons, watermelon. You know, sound familiar? Anyone listening to this? These are actually, science has shown, these are metabolizing, metabolism activating foods. They trigger your brown fat to start turning on its space heater function to burn down extra fuel. And then what I do is I take people from the produce section into the other sections of the grocery store, including the beverage section, including the forbidden middle aisles. Remember people used to say, don't shop, only shop on the perimeter, stay away from the middle aisles. I tell people there are treasures, metabolism acting treasure foods right in those middle aisles. You just need to be able to tell the real gold from the fool's gold. So that's why I call the whole chapter treasure hunt. And then we can go to the seafood section to look for healthy metabolism activating foods as well. The long and short of it is that you can get these foods in your regular grocery store. That means that it's accessible to everyone. And many of these foods are pretty inexpensive as well. 
Yeah, thanks for sharing all that because I do think that it is important to pay attention to the quality of your diet as you are making these small changes in your nutrition and in your health because over time what you will find is that you're going to feel better overall, you're going to feel better physically, you will start to lose I think more weight because just by default I think a lot of these foods as well tend to have less calories, right, than do like a lot of the other like processed foods. And I just think you'll find that it's not as hard. Once you get down the path a little bit, you'll realize like since you feel better, you'll now have like a deeper connection to it. And you're like, man, I'm so glad I'm doing this. I want to continue to feel like this. I'm not going to stop. And I know we've spent some time talking about metabolism. We've talked about like body fat and brown fat and how to combat all this. I want to talk about sleep because I think that you know, without us getting a good quality night's sleep, I think it's going to be hard to do any of the stuff that we're talking about now, right? What have you found in research? What have you found in your own practice or even in your own experience with regards to habits, you know, nutrition habits and things we can do on a daily basis to help improve the quality of the sleep? Like, what have you found with that? Well, first of all, one of the remarkable things about sleep is how restorative it actually is. But sleeping is one of those everyday activities that nobody teaches us how to do, right? I mean, we, we nobody teaches us really how to eat. Nobody teaches us how to sleep, right? So there's so many factors that can affect our sleep. We don't just get tired and conk out, you know, on the couch. Oh yeah, we can do that, you know? But the fact of the matter is that sleeping is an, there's an art to actually sleeping. There's kind of a preparation phase for sleeping. And again, we live in a modern society with bright lights you know, a neon, we got all this buzzy activity going on. Anybody who's been to Vegas knows, you know, like that's a town that is set up to keep you from sleeping because it gives you some stimulation, surround sound stimulation 24 hours a day. Okay, let me just tell you a couple of things that can be helpful to actually help get better sleep. I think that, you know, if you don't get good sleep, like your whole life is kind of a little bit against you. So number one, staying physically active, being physically active during the day, you can go to the gym, you can go for a run, but you don't have to. Just going for a walk for 30 minutes actually will help exercise your brain, your circulation, your muscles in a way that actually will help you sleep later in the day. It sends signals to your body that you it needs to renew itself and sleep is part of renewal. So, you know, something as easy as taking a walk uh, for a half an hour every day after dinner or frankly anytime or split it up actually is a little trick that actually is very useful. Obviously, you don't want to be taking stimulants just before bedtime. Now, I'm somebody who can drink a cup of coffee. I, I can. I used to live in Italy during my gap year, so I'll have a cup of a little tiny cup of espresso after dinner. Doesn't bother me. But for a lot of people, okay, it's an individual. For a lot of people, you know, if you have caffeine at the end of the day after dinner, like it's going to make you wired for the rest of the night, and then you're not going to get good sleep. So I think be really, really mindful of what you're putting into your body as you get into the evening time, particularly, you know, what, what are you drinking for dinner? All right. Ironically, you know, even though people say you drink wine or beer, you know, alcohol makes me sleepy. It can make you sleepy. But actually, when you actually have booze in your system, you never actually get good, deep sleep. The alcohol in your brain actually doesn't allow you to go dive deep. So you kind of a little bit near the surface, you're restless, you're not, you're not getting full renewal sleep. And so that's why, you know, it's important just to recognize that among other reasons you want to control alcohol intake, you know, cut down or cut out, it will interfere with your sleep. Now, the other thing is actually the volume of food. If you eat a lot of food, 
for dinner at night before you go to bed. And especially if you eat close to bedtime, that insulin is jacked up. Your body is full on trying to store that energy, the fuel that you've just eaten into your cells. That's a lot of work, man. And, you know, your factory is running full blast storing these things. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, if you've ever moved out of an apartment or a house, this is like, you know, like when you eat, when you overeat or you eat too close to bedtime, imagine having an entire crew packing up your house, trying to store everything. All right. That's pretty disruptive. And so you can't just brush your teeth and lay down and expect you're going to crash right away. So give yourself more time and don't eat too much. Don't overload your metabolism. It's going to dog you as you get into your night. And by the way, if you're not getting good quality sleep, you're also, your metabolism is not burning the energy optimally either. You're cutting into that aspect of trying to elevate your own health. Now, obviously, stress, again, going all the way back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, stress, trauma, anger, emotional injury, anxiety, those things also, if we don't confront them somehow and deal with them, there's lots of different tools that can be used to deal with them. If we don't confront that part of it, we're also not going to get a good night's sleep. All right. And by the way, when you don't get a good night's sleep, something that's not known by a lot of people is that when we're sleeping deeply, our brain detoxifies itself. But the way that it detoxifies itself is by opening a sewer system. So most people don't know that our brains have a sewer system called the glymphatic system. Literally, it's like the sewers of underground sewers of Paris. All right. They're actually shut during the day. Nothing really leaks out of your brain. Your brain wants to hang on to everything that all the input you're giving to it, but it accumulates toxins. It accumulates uh, free radicals. It accumulates toxins from the food that we eat, the air that we breathe, the inflammation that actually is part that can happen in function of your brain. At night, when you get good quality sleep, the glymphatic system opens up like the sewers of Paris and it flushes out all those toxins, all that waste products all the dead cells, all the inflammation gets flushed out of your brain. When you don't get good quality sleep or when you get little sleep, disturbed sleep, the sewer system doesn't fully open. And that's why when you don't get a good night's rest, the next day you feel foggy. You feel a little headachey. You feel a little confused, muddy, toxic brain. Yeah, I love what you said there. And I think like when you eat a lot late at night, what I found is you just feel like uncomfortable. Like it's hard to go to sleep just because you feel kind of stuffed, right? Because you've eaten so many calories in a short amount of time and then you're just going to like lay down and you're just resting and you can't fall asleep because you're just, like you said, you're waiting for your body to digest the food. You're experiencing some discomfort. You know, you're kind of still awake because your body's still awake. So yeah, I love the tips that you provided as far as how to optimize sleep because like you said sleep is so important and you said something that I, I wanted to talk about as well and that you know a lot of times people will wake up kind of in a daze or foggy if they don't get good sleep and i think a lot of people now based on stress based on their lives and just you know maybe what's going on over the last few years where people are just kind of at this low level stress their energy is depleted just naturally and maybe they're aware of it maybe they're unaware of it in your research, in your experience, what role does food play in this? Like, do you think that, you know, if you eat processed food all day, it can have an impact on your mood or do you think that's false? No, no, it's, it's absolutely true. The science shows that to be true for sure. Our diet affects our gut microbiome, the healthy bacteria in our gut. And a lot of people may not realize this, but the research is really, really making it clear 
the healthy gut bacteria that we have in the lower part of our gut is in our colon, a part of the colon called the cecum. It's a little bag near the end of our gut is filled with something on the order of 39 trillion bacteria. It's called our gut microbiome. And when you talk about gut health, largely it's, it's referring to actually that bacteria being very happy. It's an ecosystem. Think about that bacteria ecosystem like the Great Barrier Reef, all right? It's an enormous collection of life, bacteria being life. And in the Great Barrier Reef, you've got this myriad, you've got different corals, you've got turtles, you've got big fish, you've got sharks, you've got all kinds of different colorful things, living organisms living together, and it makes the sea around it healthy. And our gut bacteria makes our bodies healthy. They help us heal, they help our immune system, but very importantly, back to the mood and the sleep part, it turns out we now know our gut bacteria sends text messages to our brain. And among the things that our gut bacteria helps our brain release, our social hormones and hormones that control our mood and lower our anxiety. Hormones like serotonin, like dopamine, like oxytocin. These are the hormones that make us depressed, happy, sad, anxious, moody, cloudy. And also the good news is that when your gut bacteria is happy, it makes our brain release happy hormones. One of them is called oxytocin, as I mentioned. Oxytocin, there's a one bacteria, by the way, called lactobacillus ruteri. And this is just how one area of research, and I want to cite for your for people listening to this, lactobacillus ruteri, which is a natural gut bacteria, text messages to our brain, it causes our brain to release oxytocin. Oxytocin is a mood hormone. It's a brain hormone that makes us feel good. It's the same hormone that you get when you are picking up a good friend at the airport and you see them coming out of the, you know, to the baggage claim and you give them a big hug. All right. You feel good right? That's oxytocin. Your brain is flooding out. When you have a kiss, a French kiss, your brain is pouring out oxytocin. It makes you feel good. When you have an orgasm for a few microseconds, your brain is pumping out as much oxytocin as it can. When you disturb your gut microbiome by eating foods that destroy our gut health, you actually interfere. You snip the wire. You prevent that text message from coming through. You know, it's, it's kind of like putting your your mood, your connection, but to your gut brain connection on airplane mode. It can't signal. And so therefore, you don't feel as good. Now, what are some of the foods that can actually actively destroy our gut brain connection? Unfortunately, it's the food that we tend to consume the most, ultra processed foods, the stuff in a box, in a bag, in a can, in a tin, and the things that have, you know, 20 or so ingredients that you can't pronounce Except that what you know is that they're artificial preservatives, artificial coloring, artificial flavoring, you know, additives that actually make it last longer on the shelf. All those things that kind of had made our modern mass food industry, the Goliath that actually is, we're beginning now to do the research to realize, you know what, I'm glad that, you know, we're able to address the hunger needs of more people, but the quality of the food, remember the quality of the fuel in your tank that's low quality fuel. And when you actually put all those chemicals in your tank, you're poisoning your gut bacteria. When your gut bacteria are poisoned, they're not able to, you put them on, you put them on airplane mode, they're not able to signal to your brain. In fact, sometimes they send inflammatory signals, which actually darken your mood to begin with. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, and I love the way you kind of describe that because like I have heard that like the neurotransmitters like, you know, dopamine and serotonin, they are, a lot of them are made in our gut and they like you're right, they impact so much of our mood. And 
I think what I'm also hearing you say is if somebody's looking to improve their mood and reduce their stress and improve their outlook on life, they should obviously deal with the underlying trauma, whether that's through therapy or whatever, you know, method of healing that they um, resonate with the most and focusing on sleeping more than focusing on improving their diet quality and moving their body more. I think all of that obviously will help people reduce stress and improve their overall quality of life. The last thing I wanted to talk to you about is something that I think a lot of people struggle with, and I think a lot of people get stressed out about this, and that is so many people, when they start a journey on health and fitness, they have this all or nothing approach. Like, I am going to be all in or I'm all out, and the moment I slip up, you know, I'm done because that means I'm a failure. That means I suck. That means I'm not made for this. I've been there. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people that are listening to this, I'm sure they've maybe experienced to some degree or they know somebody who has. What's your take on that? Like how can somebody, you know, get back on the path, the healthy path, if you will, after maybe they didn't have a good night's sleep and maybe they overate the one day or maybe they had enjoyed themselves at a party too, like more than they wanted to. Like what's your advice for people to keep moving forward? Yeah, listen, I mean, what you just described is so common and, and it's happened to me many times over the course of my life. I'm a medical doctor. I trained to be a medical doctor. There's no lifestyle less healthy than going to medical school and training to be a doctor. You don't get enough sleep. You don't eat quality food. You're stressed out all the time for a long period of time, like years. And you're confronted with, you know, things that are overwhelming, scary, depressing. I mean, you know, like it's a, it's a very difficult part of the journey. And so I, you know, I've walked that walk, I can tell you. So one of the things that I, I sort of want to communicate to anybody listening is that the first thing you need to know, no matter where you are in this journey and how you're feeling, know that your body, your systems, your metabolism, your health defenses are like a gyroscope. Your body's like a gyroscope. And for those of you who don't know what a gyroscope is, it's like that thing that doesn't allow a top to be knocked over. It always can regain its balance. All right. It's why ships don't go over the big cruise ships. Like they've got a gyroscope. They actually keep it completely stable. It's why satellites stay in the air. All right. The gyroscope in our body allows us to always get back to our baseline of what it wants us to be. Now, our behavior can knock it off its center line, can knock ourselves off balance. But if you just ease up a little bit, okay, even a little bit, it'll start to immediately self-correct. And so that, so, so when you say this all or all in or all out, you know, those are extremes. Recognize that our body is always self-correcting. And if you give it even a little break, it'll let you start to self-correct. So even if you're a little in, that starts to make a difference. And if you're all in and you start to slip, you can go back and you can regain that pretty easily. Your body will actually start to self-correct. And you're not going for an extreme, honestly. What you're doing, even when you do extreme things, you're trying to hasten, you're trying to make the resurrection of your balance a little bit faster. It is true. If you go all out and you really decide that you're, you know, you're gonna screw yourself, you know, by embarking on dangerous behavior, you could knock that top over. But the moment you stop, it's going to start to right the ship again. I think that's a good, that's really good news. Secondly, if you then actually want to have a better chance of gaining balance, one thing to do is to just not do anything. You know, you kind of get that Zen state where you allow your body to reboot itself. Skip a meal, skip two meals, don't drink, exercise and just, and, and just be calm, center yourself. Don't do anything. That calmness, all right, no matter how it what it takes for you to get calm, you know, even if you need to hug yourself, all those 
trauma and stress managing techniques can help you, actually your body start to reboot itself. One of the most important reboots is when you're sleeping. Your body literally has a can have a hard restart, you know, control all delete and reboot itself if you get a really, really good night's sleep. That's why, by the way, you know, all of us in our lives, when we've actually had that incredible sleep and you get up and you feel really good, that's because you've rebooted. So that's the other thing, you know, like withhold anything for yourself, go empty for a little while, reboot, and you can actually be better. And the third thing I'll actually tell you is don't give up. You know, a lot of people who cycle, they wait cycle. They, I'm going to be really healthy. Oh, I can't do it anymore. I'm going to go on the other side. Now I'm going to be really healthy again. And your, your weight goes up and down. All right. Don't give up. You want to keep on moving towards that. I mean, studies have actually shown losing even a little weight. And by the way, weight is, most people think about weight as vanity. Here's what I think about. Weight is actually the harmful stuff inside your body cavity. You could be a big person, big body type, or you could be a thin person, you can still have extra body fat inside you. It's like extra peanuts you pack into a FedEx container. You could really overstuff that, that container, skinny container, tape it shut, duct tape it shut. It'll still be a skinny container, but it's bursting on the inside. What is it bursting like? Bursting like the inside when you grow too much harmful body fat? It's like a baseball glove wrapped around your organs, choking your organs. That's why you want to not overload on your fuel. That's why you want to get good sleep. That's why you want to lower your stress. You want to stay physically active and you want to make good choices. And anybody should know that your body wants to go there. That's your harmonious set point. And so I think no matter who you are, taking even the first baby steps to get there, it really is the first step to the end of your journey. Yeah. It's, it's so important because at the end of the day, we all do want to feel well. We all want to, we want to be like comfortable with who we are as far as our health and how we look physically. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of people are just so overwhelmed. They don't know where to start. They think they have to change everything overnight. And like we've talked about, like that's just not the way it has to be. And I think the, the other thing I will add is that other than the amazing points that you brought up are that when you can learn to embrace like the journey and the process and knowing that this isn't going to be like a, a 30 day thing. It's not going to be a 90 day thing. This is going to be a lifetime journey with your health and fitness and that there's going to be days where you don't feel good. There's going to be days where you don't eat well. There's going to be days you don't move as much and that's okay. I think what counts is, is that over time, if you continue to be consistent and you are consistently moving your body, you know, more days than not, and you're eating well on most days, what you'll find, it's kind of like the stock market. Over time, the line will go up and up and up. I'd have a, you know, some down days, but it'll go up again, down. Then over time, you'll see this trajectory of growth in your health and wellness. And the other thing I'll add is I think it's important for people to celebrate how far they've come and not how far they have to go. Because there's so many people, especially early on, they're looking at all the things they haven't achieved in their health and fitness journey, but they're not looking at some of the things they have achieved. Maybe it is that they haven't been eating as much fast food. They're not drinking as much you know, regular soda. They're not you know, skipping the days of the gym, whatever the case may be. And that can all be you know, positive, you know, reinforcement, right, to continue on the journey. You have to give credit to yourself. And, and I think the other thing that's helpful, you know, in medicine, we call this reflection and looking at the past, we call it the retrospectoscope. You know, if you actually go back and look at where you started, you realize how far you've come and credit yourself from every little bit that you've actually done that's good for you going forward. I mean, that's really the progress you've made. You deserve that reward. And really, you know, like, and it makes actually taking the steps ahead a lot easier. Yeah, 
Absolutely. I mean, and the last thing I'll add to that is I was just having a conversation with a client not too long ago. And like, you know, we were talking about her, um, her nutrition and, you know, she had like slipped up or she like slipped up and she's like, you know, I ate like fast food. And I'm really like mad at myself, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, did you, how many days last week did you eat it? And she's like, just once. I was like, oh, okay. So like in the last like six weeks, how many days have you had it? And she's like, oh, just two. And I'm like, okay, so how many meals a day would you say you eat on average? She's like three. I'm like, okay, so there's, let's just say there's 45 days in the last six weeks times three, that's 135 meals. So I was like, out of 135 meals, you've only had fast food twice, twice. I was like, that's amazing. That's incredible. I was like, it's better than most people. I was like, keep going. Like you're doing great. And I think that's what happens. What I just said is they focus on the negative. They'll say, okay, like I'm such a piece of crap for doing this. And then that leads to this downward spiral. So I'm glad we touched on that part because I think that ends up bringing people down. Well, Dr. Lee, this was awesome. I really enjoyed this conversation once again. Um, if people want to connect with you, if they want to buy your latest book, eat to beat your diet, or they want to check out some of your other stuff, where's the best place to do that? Yeah. I mean, uh, you can get my new book, Eat to Beat Your Diet, anywhere books are sold. If you wanted to actually learn more, I put out a constant stream of information based on the research that's coming out. It's kind of like drinking out of a fire hose for me every single day. I put it out on a free newsletter. Uh, we've had people all around the world in 40 different countries actually, so you can subscribe to it on my website, drwilliamleeli.com, drwilliamleeli.com, or you can find me on social. My handle is at drwilliamleeli. I do free master classes. I teach deep dive courses. There's all kinds of you know free things you can actually sign up for. My mission is actually to get information out that'll, that puts the power of your health in your own hands. I love that. Well, I'll make sure to link that stuff in the show notes. And for those listening, what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that Dr. Lee said about metabolism. Maybe it was something that we talked about as far as the importance of sleep. Maybe it was something that we talked about as far as like how to like effectively you know change some of your health habits. Or maybe it was something that we recently just talked about, like what to do if you end up kind of having a bad day and falling off track for a bit. Whatever the takeaway was, make sure to tag Dr. Lee, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. We once again, thank you for listening to this episode of The Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. We'll see you next time.